Fantastic. Well, as I said, we're exploring a theme this month, and it's got to do with understanding and unpacking. Um, we had Arnie Janet here with us last week. And one of the, I guess, the premise for this series that we're doing is this idea that there is a wound in the spirit of our nation. And we kind of want to listen for those people who were the first peoples to help us understand their story. And Kutcher, welcome this morning. Glad to have you with us. We're going to have a bit of a chinwag in a minute. But before we do so, we're going to watch something that sort of sets the setting for today. Um, there's five things that Pete and Australian Together have been working on, and this is uh, 27 years of work right here in picture form, a few years. And uh, so this is kind of where we're heading together as a community to unpack things in our life groups. If you'd like to join one, you can. Uh, you can watch things on online or in the series that we'll have and sign up for outside. But there's this idea of a recognition of a wound, and we need to understand our history because many of us don't. And we ask the question, what's this got to do with us living in the outer eastern suburbs of Melbourne? And then we want to understand about culture and identity. And then lastly, I guess at the end of the month, we're asking the question, God, is there something we should do or be? Or should we just pause? We want to hear your voice into this. And so that's what we're embarking on today. So if you've come and you're brand new with us and you haven't caught up into any of this, I hope this morning's experience will be a powerful one for you as we're really asking God to speak to us and as a community that we might adopt a posture of learning and listening. So that's why it's good to have our brother here, Kutcher, this morning. And uh, we're going to unpack that as his story talks specifically about this era of assimilation and the stolen generation. But before we do that, it's going to show you something on the film, about eight minutes, that's going to unpack a bit of this history and uh, a bit of people's stories. So have a watch now. Well, at the end of the colonial period, when uh, Aboriginal people, in particularly in the southern parts of Australia, uh, had had white people there for, you know, 30, 40 years, they were in a pretty bad state. Uh, many, many were ill. Uh, many were had become alcoholic. A lot of the girls were being abused by white people and they actually needed protection. Because they needed someone to do something so they could survive. I mean, we know something about the death by massacre. Uh, we know something about death from disease because they weren't able to cope with European pathogens. What people don't name is the death from sexually transmitted disease and the inability of damaged girls to bear children. Now, these people didn't need regulations that somehow improved society. What they needed was instant help. Let's call it what it was, protection. They needed to be protected from the ravages of white society. For a generation or two, the missions as institutions were good things. Not because everything they did was good, but because nobody else was doing anything at all. But then, of course, what happened is that these places to which the dying, the at-risk, the um, sexually abused and so on were brought out of compassion and need to care for them, they became institutions and they start to create rules and they start to put up fences and they start to create dormitories into which they are locked. And so you get a, 
a different kind of protection, not so much saving their lives, which is very real protection that was needed, but now enclosing them, institutionalising them. However, let's go back one step and say, if they hadn't been institutionalised, would they have survived? The problem is that when protection was no longer really needed, the missions didn't know how to get out of that model for a very, very long time. And they developed what gets called the industrial mission, a place where you enclose people and train them to go out and live in white society. An awkwardness for the historian is that the name mission survives into the government institution so that even though officially on paper it may not be called the Malaga Mission, it may be called the Malaga Reserve or something. So we have this whole bad things happened in the mission and you've really got to say, well, how many of them were actually missions? Daniel and Janet Matthews are examples of two very fine people who dedicated their lives to helping Aboriginal people and one can understand their motive because it was entirely selfless. In the late 1800s, his family started a business in Echuca and he looked across the river and he could see the Aboriginal people who weren't allowed to come across. And he, his words are recorded, God, can this be right? And he dived into the river and swam across to make himself known to Aboriginal people. There was a lot of abuse of young girls in those years, particularly where men were gathered together, loggers' camps, um, stockmen's camps, those kinds of things. And those sorts of places were the places that Daniel Matthews went into. He's a, a big, strong, black-bearded, uh, physical sort of man, and he would go in at the risk to his own life and just take the girls and uh, take them back to protection to safety at the mission and they know they know their descendants still know today that um, they're only alive because their grandparents or their great-grandparents were protected at the mission our history is full of stories both positive and negative of the church doing what they thought was right some indigenous australians expressed deep gratitude for what the missionaries had done for them in their communities while others feel deep hurt at the way they were treated. Missionaries and Christians of the time weren't perfect. The prevailing worldview created blind spots for them, just as the society we're part of today creates blind spots for us. So we acknowledge the complicity of the church in damage that was done to Indigenous Australians. And we acknowledge the courage and sacrifice of many Christians and missionaries who worked for justice and safety for those being oppressed. The turn of the century saw a shift in thinking. Australia became a federation, the white Australia policy was introduced, 
and the government began to think about Indigenous Australians in terms of assimilation. The doomed race theory had dissolved since the Indigenous population was actually beginning to increase and incorporation into the dominant white culture and identity became the goal. In 1937, the Commonwealth Government formally agreed that Aboriginal people not of full blood should be absorbed or assimilated into the wider population. Assimilation, however, meant different things for different people. Some saw it in a social and cultural sense, while others saw it in a biological sense, with the intent to breed out Indigenous people with light skin or of mixed heritage. The idea was to create one Australia with one unified people, enjoying the same rights, privileges and standards of living, such as education and health. Yet Indigenous Australians still didn't have basic rights of citizenship and equality. There were underlying philosophical tensions from the beginning of this policy, and the fact that the legal system of this time still allowed for discrimination meant that assimilation couldn't genuinely succeed. Many Aboriginal people ended up living on the fringes of urban areas, wrestling with poverty and unemployment. An outworking of this policy of assimilation saw many Indigenous people forcibly removed from the missions and government reserves they'd been living in. They were encouraged to abandon their language, culture and traditions by authorities convinced this was for their own good. Some children with mixed heritage or lighter skin were separated from their families, a painful and highly controversial practice. To many, these children became known as the Stolen Generation. An even deeper wound was inflicted on the soul of our nation, the painful effects of which can be felt for generations. And this seeded the deepest distrust of the government and church amongst many Indigenous communities. Gutcha. Could I invite you to come up here and, uh, and grab your seat because um, that's a lot for us to digest for a moment. And uh, whilst you're getting set up, um, I reckon it'd be good for us to have a little bit of a conversation for a moment. Can we all take an inhale for a moment and then an exhale? Because for many of us, this is the first time any of us would have heard any of the material that you've just been presented with this morning. But yet, Kutcher, they kept on saying, using the word they, they, they through it. And I couldn't help but feel, as you were standing there, actually talking about situations that involved you mm. in the midst of all of that. Um, so whilst we're just digesting that, could you help us a little bit with some terms here? Just basic ones like indigenous, non-indigenous, that framework, or is it better to use words like Koori, mm. or um, is it better to use words like Aboriginal? What do you say? Uh, yeah, the, the word indigenous, is this working? Yeah. The word indigenous really doesn't sit well with me. Okay. Uh, I am a Mutti Mutti man, a descendant of the Mutti Mutti people, the Nari Nari people, the Bunwarang people, the Wachabalik people. And the further I go back into my genealogy, I am of all those nations and tribes. Uh, 
the term even Aboriginal doesn't sit well with me. It's a, it's a non-Indigenous term to proclaim those people. Yeah. Uh, so what would be helpful for us? Is there a term that would be more respectful? Um, call me Kutcher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, personalise it. Um, yeah. And it's beautiful. Like even, even coming here this morning and, and everybody is welcoming. Do you know what I mean? It's a, it's a, and it's a safe place. Uh, even standing over there before Troy, it, you, um, you, uh, you're feeling encompassed in this, in this move, movement towards a better tomorrow for us all. Do you mm. know what I mean? Yeah. And it's acknowledging that that even though all the all the atrocities that are that are being projected on the screen and and being talked about the reality is that and this is not a criticism that was a white person telling you that uh, we want to tell our story yeah we want to inform the uninformed yeah uh, and that's why it's beautiful that 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 not you as an individual, your congregation has asked Kutcher Edwards to sit in with you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's too many times uh, people sit and watch Rabbit Proof Fence or read books and go to the library and never have the conversation mm-hmm. with us. Mm. They tell us, this is what's better for you. Uh, and it's beautiful that that you, your congregation, has asked the horse to come and sit in the in the congregation, <laughs> and not the jockey. <laughs> Good. That's riding the horse. <laughs> now, Kutcher, for those people who don't perhaps have met you for the first time today, you're a bit of a legend out there. You have been on uh, Rockwiz, um, SPS. You've talked mm. to all the politicians. So, what does mm. the uh, a week in the life of Kutcher look like, given um, you're a singer-songwriter, three albums, all that yeah. stuff. I, I I really don't look at all all the peripheral stuff. I I, I remember I remember when Michael Long uh, started his walk, and um, people were saying, "Let's go, Let, let's go and walk the walk with him." And then I sort of thought to myself, "It's beautiful that he's doing it." Mm. But I've got to keep on doing what I do myself, or it de- defeats the purpose of my purpose yeah. and what I have to do. Yeah. So I said, no, I'll keep on doing the day-to-day things that I need to do to make change, not only within myself, but within people that come in contact with me. So I decided to stay in Melbourne and keep on doing what I do. But, um, you know... I've I've had proclamations by you know the the Australian you know federal government and uh, I've had phone calls on this actual mobile phone you know from Kevin Rudd uh, I've stood behind John Howard on a flight from uh, from um, from Heathrow Airport to uh, to uh, to Hong Kong. And I breathed down his neck, and I, <laughs> I, 
I was going to say, John, I am your father. Because <laughs> he had no security, Troy, and uh, I really wanted to give him a really, really uh, big well, Welcome hug, to country, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> now, um, Kutcher, I first met you, well, uh, whenever there's Reconciliation Week, you've been here quite a few times, and you're involved in teaching um, the primary school students and you mm. tell them your story yeah. um, you could be doing a lot of other things but you choose to do that why do you bother mm. coming from Phillip Island to come up here and talk to the primary school students I am um, I liken what I do uh, it's like to me my purpose in life is to drop a pebble in a pond and the ripples, the ripple will be what it is. Yeah. And I'm not determining that ripple. Yeah. I'm, my, my job. We're just going to do a little. My, well, there you go. My job, <laughs> my job is to drop the pebble. Your job as the audience or the listener uh, and you determine the ripple. I don't. My job is to drop the pebble. That's good. Whether, whether you take away a positive connotation from what it is that you're getting from me, a positive or a negative, it's not up to me to determine that. Uh, so, so what I what I try and do is, and even even in my you know the the five minutes that I've been sort of having the yarn, Troy, is that you can't just uh, bombard people with the negatives. You have to have light and shade. Mm. And so, Aboriginal people, we have the capacity to laugh at, at ourselves and. And create this, you know, not everything is, is doom and gloom. We, we have fun too, but that's why you have, uh, I'm a bit of a, uh, yeah, light and shade, uh, in, in not only, see, and I understand we're in a, we're in a, uh, in a congregation. Uh, my belief is that, that this is the vehicle that carries my soul and my connection to my ancestry. Uh, you know, I'm in a 50-year-old body. This is a 50-year-old vehicle, but my spirit, my connection to my ancestry is millennia. Hmm. I am of a billion years. Hmm. And people need to understand that uh, you believe in a in a in a in a in a greater place, in a greater creator, but so do I. Mm. And it's of a different denomination than you. Mm. I believe that I will go to my dreaming, that place, mm. but as soon as I pass, I become one of those ancestors mm. of, of, of 25 gazillion billion years. And so, yeah, if you 
if you deny me of that, you're denying me of me. Hmm. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting. That's a good one to have a an interesting a uh, coffee over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I've had about three already. <laughs> yeah. Now, Kutcher, we're going to give you the next thirty minutes to just go ahead and tell your story. Yeah. So I think we're going to have most things sort of out yeah, of your way. We'll, we'll take two minutes to set up. Troy. All right. So, so, so do you need to... The thing is hand? that you've got to move so I can put this... Yeah. I'm happy moving. a different way of approaching things. So, So, Troy, you're the, you're the, I know I'm going to use different language than the congregations sort of used to. And I'm not talking about, um, swear words either. I'm talking about, um, you're the head honcho. You're the. Are you the the main man in the whole scheme of things, Troy? <laughs> so I want to introduce you. To understand why I'm here, you've got to understand where I've come from. Um, when we talk about the eastern suburbs. Uh, I've been in, I've lived in the eastern suburbs for a long time. Um, uh, I want to introduce you to a few people. This is my mother. Her name's Mary. Nee Murray. Mary Edwards. Uh, she's a Yorta Yorta Jaja Warang woman, meaning Yorta Yorta from from the River Murray, uh, in between Echuca and and uh, and Shepparton. Uh, she's also a Nari Nari woman. Nari Nari being near on the Murrumbidgee in a place called Balranald. Jajawarang uh, being a descendant from around Bendigo. Uh, and my mum, I don't know how tall that is. She's about that tall. I only know that because I used to lean on her shoulder like that. But Mary, that's my mum, Mary. This is my dad. His name's Arthur Nugget Edwards. Uh, Nugget, I don't know, maybe because of the colour. Black as, uh, uh, yeah. 
but a strong, you can see all the scars in his face. He was a very, uh, very uh, hard nut, my dad. Uh, six foot six, I stand six foot four, so my dad stood about here. Very large man in stature. But I, um, I've heard yarns about my dad. Uh, my dad, I'm told, uh, uh, walked, it's an interesting way of trying to explain my dad, he walked softly on the earth. Do you know what I mean by that? He was a very gentle man, very soulful man, very respectful man, but he was a hard man. Uh, my mum and dad had 12 children. Uh, for some reason, back in the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, there's a family in Druin, 23 children. Could you imagine all them at the kitchen table? <laughs> Far out. <laughs> so mum and dad had 12. I, I sit ninth in the 12. Uh, but I obviously was the strongest, hence my big belly. But anyway, um, this is my brother Wally, a very funny man, uh, very handsome man. Uh, I'll sort of explain uh, my situation. Uh, uh, the person next to him is my older brother, Reg. Uh, I uh, I love all my brothers and all my sisters and my entire family. I love them all, but my big brother, Reg, was I admire my big brother. Uh, he, um, I remember as a five or six year old uh, catching a train from Box Hill to Glen Ferry, uh, getting off at Glen Ferry Station, uh, walking across Glen Ferry Road, past the little uh, pool and then on to Glen Ferry Oval where my brother Reg and my our older brother uh, Mick, uh, we call him Mick but he was born Eric, uh, played for Hawthorne uh, back in the 60s or back in the 70s, my big brother. Uh, Hence I barrack for Hawthorne now. And my mum barracks for Hawthorne. Uh, practically our whole family barrack for Hawthorne. Uh, the person on the end is my nephew, Greg. Uh, my brother, Reg's eldest son. Uh, uh, Gregory is not biologically Reg's. Uh, Reg uh, married his mother... Uh, when he was about uh, two or three years old. Uh, I have two younger brothers, Alan and Jason, who are not biologically my father's children. Do you, do you understand? 
My mother used to say, the only steps in this family are the ones that lead up to the front door. And I thought that was a beautiful way of explaining my relationship with my younger brothers. Um, and I hope they, they don't mind me uh, telling that yarn. Uh, I, all these people that are, that are in these photos are deceased. Uh, and there's an understanding or, or misconception that in Aboriginal communities uh, and families that are, I thought you should, you're not allowed to show photos. And that is true. Uh, but in, in regards to uh, that uh, situation, uh, with each family uh, there is a time of mourning and then once the mourning uh, and respect to the people who have passed on, once the time is right, the family uh, gives permission. And my family have given me permission to, uh, to show these photos. There's an ideology that, um, uh, that after somebody passes away, there's this, this understanding that uh, we don't mention their names and we don't show their photos. Uh, because they are still, uh, it is of, of the understanding that if you mention their name, their spirit comes back into that conversation uh, and they don't get the opportunity to go to that, that new place. And so that is why we don't mention their names and if there's somebody, if there's a family member who has the same name, then that family member has to change their name for that certain amount of time. Just to let that spirit, that person go to their dreaming, go to that different place. Um, now, like I said before, I'm 50 years old, but I'm still learning. I'm still trying to understand uh, what it is that makes me me. Uh, not only me as me, but what I am as well and who I'm connected to. Um, I am, um, there's a few things that I do and, and like even I look around the room and there are, there are, there are people and I don't get me wrong when I talk in this vein. There are people who are getting on. And there are people who are, haven't even turned 15 yet. But they're here and they're wanting, they're wanting to connect. They're wanting to stick their finger in the coaxial cable and, and absorb, absorb all the information that will be sent. Either by the computer, that guy's twiddling with or or with information that Troy will pass on and so we're all trying to learn and there are there, I, I was looking when everybody 
I'll tell you what, when church folk write songs, you've got beautiful melodies. And I was ready to sing, but I didn't know any of the lyrics. But um, there were kids here who just sit and they and they they listen. And I saw it, and I and I witnessed it. Um, I'm going to go around the room, just, and I'm going to pick on people. I'm going to v-line to certain people. Reason being of either two things. One, because I like the look of you. Or one, because I don't. I won't tell you which one. Hopefully the people upstairs will inform you as to what I'm thinking. So I'm going to do it just for two minutes. And I'm going to do what I need to do. So here I go. Um, I would tell her that there was a speaker who asked me to take the necklace off and give it to him. Do you, do you think I'm going to pick on you? No, I'm not. Okay. You haven't got a, a, um, what's your name? Tim. 
The ring on your finger, does that come off? What does it, what does the ring represent? What is it? So what, what does a ring actually represent? What does it, what, what does it mean? Uh, I would say it means connection. Is the connection there even though the ring represents that? Absolutely. So how would you feel? Yeah. <laughs> now what's your name? Tim. Tim. Tim, good on you. Jeez, you've got a strong handshake, Tim. <laughs> wow. What's your name, Sonny Jim? Who? Give me five, man. That is a cool name. I like that. What are you smiling at, Sonny Jim? <laughs> you, you're laughing because I picked on him, eh? It's a cool name. Did you know his name was Zed? What's yours? That's even cooler. Hello. How many rings have you got? What's this one? A love heart. Who did you get that off? Ooh, explain the love you have. Is your mum here? Explain the love, why you love your mum. I know know that's a simple question, but why do you love your mum? She would do anything for me. And give you a ring. Yeah. <laughs> what would you do if you didn't take it home to her? What's your name? Nick. Nick. That's a cool name too, Nick. Cool. So there are, are trinkets, trinkets of uh, possessions that that we associate that we associate with the love that that um that comes with the trinkets correct from Tim Nick and Juliet and um what was your name again Andy who was going to give me his watch that he got from the Philippines Wow. <laughs> oh, Philippines. But um like I said I was I was born I'm fifty I turned fifty one on the fifteenth of November. And um Hands up in the room if you're an Australian citizen. Cool. Why are you an Australian citizen? Okay. 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 That that complicates things, but <laughs> I'll hand, show of hands again. Why are you an Australian citizen? Cool. How old are you? Why are you an Australian citizen? Cool. 
Uh, old smiley face here. Did you got a massive smile? I like, I like it. What's your name, Abby? Why are you an Australian citizen? Okay. Hands up in the room. Who was born here, of this country, and not born an Australian citizen? What's the difference? Let's get to the point. Who wants to answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. It's because I'm Aboriginal that I, I was born not a, not a citizen of this country. And why is that? Let's get straight to the point. Because I was born black in this country, in the time that I was. Do you know how that I've lived with that? I've lived with that all my life. And my job is to keep on dropping pebbles in ponds. Remember my purpose in life is to inform the uninformed. Whether you're Zed's age or whether you're getting on. My job is to drop the pebble. And it's because I was born this colour that I've been treated the way you saw it in... On the, on the screen. You saw what was going on. The reasons why I go around the room and, uh, grab trinkets of, uh, and possessions of obviously the love that is given with these trinkets. In the year that a magic wand is bestowed upon Aboriginal people and where the irony is that the question is posed and this is not a, this is not a, uh, meant to be an offensive, uh, way of explaining non-Indigenous people. The question is posed to the visitor. Should we let Aboriginal people become citizens in the country that their forefathers have walked since time began? Should we let them become citizens in their own country? And the overriding uh, 97% say yes, not understanding that they're part of the assimilation that is happening. So I'm now, things have changed. Do we know the date? You're close. The 27th of May, 1967. Our world has supposedly changed because we're now citizens. Do we know... uh, there are, there are, there are reasons why that things have changed. But in the same year that I'm now 
supposed to be, I'm only 18 months old, but um, I'm supposed to be joyous and happy. But in the same year that uh, I'm now an Australian citizen, remembering the trinkets, my mother and father had to, had to hand over six children to complete uh, strangers to my mother and father. That little baby is me. And I'm handed over to welfare. And I'm driven. My mother and father have heard the whispers around Bell Reynold. And my mother and father are trying to make their way out of Bell Reynold. So we're talking about New South Wales on the Murrumbidgee River. And they're in a place called Mullamine. And do you know what? The welfare are there. They knew we were heading that way. We've been told by certain credible sources that an auntie of ours had given us up in the knowledge that the welfare wouldn't go after her family. And so we're, we're, we're escorted from uh, Mullamine back into Swan Hills, so from New South Wales into Victoria. Court case ensues that afternoon. Uh, we're immediately whisked in a car from Swan Hill Courthouse to a children's home. Five other members of my family are sent to Arana Methodist Children's Home in Elgar Road, Burwood. I'm uh, immediately taken to a, to a, a place called Alambi Infant Reception Centre, straight across the road, ironically. Not only am I separated from my mother and father and my connection to my, uh, uh, my entire family, uncles, aunties, cousins, my country, my language, my culture, I'm segregated from my brothers and sisters. This little boy, my first memory as a child... And psychologists and psychiatrists reckon you can't go back beyond three years old. But in 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 this in this in this continual uh, DVD in my head or in my soul, I remember standing in a cot in a wet nappy, uh, looking looking at a window where the blinds are down and through the through the uh from the back of the of the uh of the blind I can see splinters of light from behind it and I'm crying and if that's my first memory how disrespectful is that as an 18 month old child I've lived with that all my life But I spent 11 years 
I spent four weeks in that infant reception centre and then 11 years in Arana Methodist Children's Home because I was born black. And you know how much that hurts that I have to repeat it over and over and over and over and over, not only with my mouth but with my entire spirit so that people get the reason why my job and my purpose is to drop the pebble. And I will do it. I will do it even when my time comes to go to my dreaming because my memory and my songs will tell the tale. And my family will not forget. These sessions that I do are not not to proclaim me against you. These sessions, the, the reason why I do what I do is so that you don't do it to my grandchildren. Not you, but it doesn't happen to my grandchildren. Because I am lucky that phone went off. I, I'm a strong-willed person and if you put ten straitjackets on me and do it to my grandchildren, I will get out of those straitjackets and I will, I will reek. Not, not, not vengeance, but I'll continue to do what I do. Um, I've travelled the world. I've travelled the world doing what it is that I do, but there's nothing more enjoyable that I get to do. I've travelled the world for, for somebody, any individual, to be where I've been and, and walked in my shoes. They would probably have to spend close to, let's say, $700,000 to go around the world and I've been paid to do it. I haven't paid a cent. So... My music takes me where I want to go. And it's an, there's an old uncle. His name was uh, Uncle Jimmy Little, a very famous uncle. He used to say it's easier to hit somebody over the head uh, with a feather than a baseball bat. And that's how he used to do what, he do, what he'd do. Uh, and he was an amazing, he would conversate with people and be a minute, he would lead you down a garden path. And the conver- he, would, he would be corralling you, uh, you and you didn't know it. But he would lead the conversation and, you, and the conversation would end up uh, to where he wanted it to be. Uh, and my mother is directly related to Uncle Jimmy. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop waffling on. Two.
Jeez. It's gotten hot in here all of a sudden. Look at all the photographs. I'll 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 explain this song. <laughs> I um the years two thousand and five. Um, in March of two thousand and five, uh, I lost a very dear brother of mine, not a friend. Uh, Paul Hester, uh, drummer for Crowded House. Uh, he did what he did and he's gone to that his dreaming, that place. Uh, in May of 2005, my nephew Greg was, uh, was murdered on the streets of Dandenong. Uh, uh, in September of 2005, I, uh, our brother, my brother Wally, uh, succumbed to, to uh, septicemia, uh, drank himself to oblivion because he couldn't look in the mirror and figure out who in the reflection was looking at him. Um, and I remember walking past these three photos, my nephew, Paul Hester and Wally up on the wall. And there's a phenomenon when, when the photo is taken and the person is looking directly at the camera when the, when the photo is taken. When those photos are placed on the wall and you walk past the photos, it's, it's as if the people are watching you walk across the room it's and it freaked me out and so I sat down after my brother passed away and I wrote this song photographs I look at all the photographs Placed upon the wall With eyes so deep and meaningful Standing strong and tall A face full of character Which always 
hid the pain Then comes the realization You're not coming home again For every drop of rain that falls We will shed a tear For we all feel the sorrow Knowing you're not here For all the pain and suffering And all that you've been through No, I I can't face tomorrow No, I Can't face tomorrow Without you like children We're always side by side We look into the future But then we let faith decide But we must stand as one now And rise above the pain We'll hold you in our memory Until we meet again For every drop of rain that falls We will shed a tear For we all feel the sorrow Knowing you're not here I've lost, um, I've lost so many members of my family, uh, but um, each time I sing those songs, it it, um, it releases releases the pain, and um, yeah, and and each time that I sing them. And people understand why I sing them. A ripple is created, and the more ripples that are that are created, the uh, more of an understanding is that that um of my purpose is to is to do exactly what I've done today, Troy. You know what I mean? Um. 
One I reckon it'd be great if you're happy for that is to, are you okay to hang around a little bit later and just to have a chat with some people who want to have a talk with you? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, we hear these things and some of us for the first time and we kind of, we grieve over it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to give us one idea as a community, and maybe we're already doing it right mm-hmm. now, but if you were to give us an idea about how we could together move forward, what would you say to us? Um, I can't remember. That's What's Pete. Your, Pete. Pete, we had a conversation before about uh, about this movement, uh, the big R. The big R that's that's um, being being talked about, and uh, obviously we want we want the R is not about respect. The R is about recognition within the Australian uh, constitution. That constitution doesn't derive from my ancestry. That 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 constitution derives from a continent far, far away from here. Uh, And we must remember what this place was prior to 1788. Mm. Uh, This place was a Europe, exactly like Europe. All these countries within the continent all these laws pertaining to each clan and each tribe having their own entities and their own laws pertaining to those places. This place wasn't always called Australia. Hmm. And it goes back to that conversation about me being Mati Mati, Nari Nari, uh, Wachabalik, uh, Bunwarang and so forth. Yeah. Um, there are not all Aboriginal people that want this movement towards recognition. There are, there are, there are certain, uh, communities and people within this, 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 uh, place we call Australia that, that want a treaty. Not only one, but treaties with every nation of this continent. Uh, hmm. and remember, Remember, if I was to co- go to your houses this afternoon, I'd knock at the door. I wouldn't barge through. If I barged through, you'd have every right to call the police and get me removed. That didn't happen in 1788. Hmm. And so we must understand that that if you have the the rights and the and the opportunities to be proud of who you are australian and and have the right to do so meanwhile back at the ranch there are not people like you saw in the in the uh that have ha- that haven't had that opportunity yeah and so be of an understanding of that and and you know, even in even in your uh, opening addresses, or or each time that you congregate, maybe have an acknowledgement to country. Hmm. Uh, before we start, it is uh, 
uh, we'd like to pay respects to the traditional peoples of where we are gathering today, of the Wurundjeri people. And yeah. that communicates to the Wurundjeri people deeply. Yeah, yeah. That there's recognition. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe, maybe send a letter to 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 the uh, Wurundjeri Council, acknowledging that that before every gathering, mm. before any, uh, because you do it, you do it to the man upstairs. <laughs> you do that in acknowledging that he is looking over. But while you're doing that. There are the ancestors of the Wurundjeri who were probably sitting right beside him. And so you must, mm. yeah, uh, acknowledge that they're up there too. Do you know what I mean? It's not to, not to try and articulate. I'm trying to, trying to articulate using jawbreakers and using, uh, by the way, uh, uh, a language that is foreign to this place. English. Uh, I'm trying to articulate, yeah. but my spirit, my soul, you don't know what it's doing. I know yeah. what it's doing yeah. because I feel that there's there's this thing happening in this space right now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. uh, it's yeah. hard to explain. I, I was I was overwhelmed uh, when I heard Frankie Yammer's. Uh, Frankie would be absolutely besotted that in a little room at the uh, estate here that his songs were being... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So that's what it's about. And, and yeah, it's... it's, it's um, yeah. I don't, know, I don't know how to explain it yeah. other than I was moved because of, because of... Yeah. Can we say thank you to you? No, you're right. How about we say thank you? <laughs> yeah, you can, you can, or, or grab a coffee if you want another one, but that'll be your fourth. That'll be your fourth. <laughs> Tell you what, it's been good to be here together this morning and to have Kutcher with us. And we're going to continue this series on. So just so you know what's coming up, we're just going to flick through these here and get right to the, um, is that next Sunday, um, we're going to continue to ask this question, what's this to do with us? We're going to have Scott Darlow coming and uh, sing a songwriting and talk about his story. His story also about being a, a follower of Jesus and someone who identifies as Indigenous as well. But the question we're asking all the way through this month in our life groups and on the Sunday mornings is, what is God saying to us? I, I don't have any projected ideas about what we must do, but I'm just wanting to create the space for us to listen so that we might actually be able to hear what God might be stirring in us. Make sense? All right, so if you'd like to be involved in a life group that's going to have four episodes unpacking this, we've got one at our place. It's uh, Thursday nights. You can just let us know. Write it on one of the white cards that you just see in front of you. So I'd like to be involved in a life group because I want to talk about this just in our small group on Thursday night. The conversations were terrific. And so post that in the, in the Burgundy letterboxes. Do that on the way out. If you'd like to give financially to life of the church, you can do that too. Um, but I want to let you know that 
the following, on the 23rd, we have a gentleman called Dean Stewart who's going to walk us through the Mullum Mullum area here so that you can be familiar with some of the cultural aspects about our community here. And so we've got two walks to sign up to. They're an hour and a half long each up at Yarrandaran. And uh, you can sign up today for it outside uh, in the foyer. If you'd like to be part of that, we'll have a barbecue up there and we'll have two different walks, maybe three if we need it. So you can be involved in that. All part of understanding and listening. <clears throat> I love it how uh, Kutcher could say, there's just a sense in this room when people were worshipping the Creator. And we've come to know him in the person of Jesus. And he's good. And I wonder what he might be saying to us today. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon yourself and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. I wonder this morning if you've heard these things, if you need to discover and know that rest. Go to Jesus. rose from the dead, new life given, healing. It's in Jesus. And hear the voice of God. It's been good to be together this morning. If you would like to receive prayer, just come down here and there'll be some folk praying with you. We've got our 22 hours of prayer next weekend and there's 11 slots left. We just want to fill all 22 up for an hour. If you want to come, just pray, designate a space, family, do it together, do it with friends, maybe just some time for you. Lock it in. So that could be next week and uh, that's going to go from the 14th and 15th as well.